I'm your host, Fran Langham, Global Head of Demand Gen at Cognizant. I am delighted today to be joined by Louis, Head of Demand Gen at Sunday. So, Louis, before we get into all of the good tactical stuff, um, it'd be great to give some background on what Sunday does, um, a little bit about your role. Um, it looks like you've had quite the journey going from um, SDR to Head of Demand Gen, so I'm sure you've got some really interesting insights to share. Right. Okay, fine. First and foremost, thank you for inviting me. This is a, this is a very uh, nice for me. Just I'm a, I'm a big fan of everything you guys do and definitely what you bring as well. Uh, so that I just want to say firstly. Um, in terms of who am I, I'm Louis. Yeah, so I'm Louis, 27 years old. I'm actually live from Ghent, Belgium, which was also uh, a question. Um, and I work at Sunday. Sunday is a, is a company and we produce company fashion is what we call it. So we make sustainable apparel for brands. We do onboarding boxes, etc. We do it in a sustainable manner. We ship it around the globe. Um, so if employees onboard into a new team and they want to get the corporate swag, as you call it in the UK, I guess, uh, that's what we do. And we do it really well. Uh, and I've been at the company for two years and a half. And it's been indeed quite a journey. Uh, I started there just as like COVID hit. Um, and that was in June, I guess, 2020 uh, as an inbound sales, basically. So it was just the direct requests from people, product requests, basically. And then after three months, I got the opportunity to to move on to the next role, which was back then project manager, which is the overall sales role, I guess, which is from which was from A to Z because we didn't have the fully structured people. We had a 25, um, uh, 25 headcount, something like that. Now we are with 70, roughly. So it, it, it's grown a lot. Um, and then it was just project manager. After a couple of months in the project manager role, I saw the opportunity to move um, uh, to Dublin, actually, because we were setting up offices abroad and they needed kind of experienced sales to want to take on the role of country manager, which was um, setting up office, finding new business in that area, and then also hiring the first employees. And I, I thought, like, that's a big challenge. I have to do this. Uh, that's going to be very uncomfortable, but I like that kind of stuff. And then uh, I, I really have a, an affinity for working in, in UKI market. I really like the, the, the way sales is done there. So that's why I took it on me to do it. I spent six months in Dublin, had a great time there, learned so much about myself, uh, ran against the wall uh, a couple of times as well. But I think that's that's for everybody the same. And then after that, like I, yeah, and after that, I came back to Belgium. And then since April last year, I was uh, I'm head of the Mount Generation, and that that's maybe different because I think. Uh, it's also what's in a name, right? Uh, I have a very tough time to explain it to my mom what is head of the Mon generation. Uh, I think you might have the same, actually. Like at the Christmas table, how would you explain the Mon generation to somebody? Yeah, I hear you. I think job. I think it's, job titles can be very different um, in different companies. So I'm settling on at the moment, um, basically bringing value. So we bring value to our prospects all the time where they hang out. That's how I define it. Like we're creating this demand. But then obviously if I'm saying that to my mum, she's like, what What a prospect, what's <laughs> yeah, this great demand? True. So I haven't quite nailed it. But really in general, I see me and my team as delivering value consistently to our audience in the places where they hang out. That's where I've got to. All right. Would you agree? Yeah, no, actually, yeah, it kind of makes sense because I had to explain it yesterday. I had a lecture at a university and then the, the, obviously the kids were like 20 years old and they had no clue what is B2B, what is yeah. the mom generation, whatever. So also the role at Sunday is a bit different. So I'm charged of nine SDRs and then also a bit of like the, the beachhead definition, the strategy around messaging exactly what you're saying, trying to find where your buyer is and approach that market segment. Uh, and I kind of explain it as in like I'm I'm, 
we're in charge of where new business happens or something um kind of yeah i'm trying to yeah. i'm trying to channel in new business from various areas that's kind of the, the the closest i've gotten did you manage to do it without um <laughs> without using any buzzwords because i find it uh, very I'm difficult probably the I'm worst there like I'm, I'm yeah at the company as well people hate me because like obviously the, the team speaks in dutch and then every time i try to explain something it's like 10 abbreviations 14 buzzwords and then like oh no yeah. louis back with his stupid terminology but yeah that's 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 kind of the sphere <laughs> we're in probably sure yeah i think yeah if i've learned anything it's like trying to keep it simple as best you can but um i can't i can't resist a little buzzword every now and again um so just touching on um your role itself like you mentioned the sdr function sits under you or like within your team can you explain a little bit about how that works? Because I know there's like various different setups and different companies. And I was quite interested in that. Yeah, so that, that was actually, we started with a SDR, I think a year and a half ago. So that was two people that were just doing it for us. But then it was very much searching for, okay, what is going to be the role at Sunday? Because you have a set expectation, which is like you book meetings or something, you qualify inbounds, that kind of stuff. But then also like, how does that translate to what we actually do? And we spent so much time kind of reconfiguring what that role is. We still are like actively looking into that, but it's, it's, it's my team and I coach them. I hired them. I have to coach them as well. And I think it's just in terms of how you see the role is very different. And I kind of see them as individual demand generation beacons or something. Like try to try to show to them, like you're, you're not the start of a sales engine, but you're actually the start of like generating demand for a wider group in your, in your market segments. And I think if you approach it that way, Obviously, we come from afar, like in the beginning, it was all on activity with all on meetings. Now we're like a half year later where it's all on revenue based. Uh, but then also you have to kind of explain to them, how do we get there? Like, because that's that's the whole thing with demand generation from from a top down perspective. And I think you might have that as well. Like strategy is one thing. But then how can you make sure that the person that just enters your company understands what it means, but then also sees the value for herself or for himself? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So, so did the SDR team, um, are they picking up inbounds and you're coaching them on that kind of piece, like how they should be responding, um, like next best steps and things like that? How does that flow work? Yeah, so we have, we have two types of inbounds with us because obviously we also manufacture clothing ourselves. So we have very much direct inbounds, which are very product related. So they, those go directly, yeah. they skip the SDR stage because it's often a yes or a no, and then they go to an account executive and that's easier as well. The customer acquisition cost is also way lower if we do it that way. Uh, but then everything that's like um, a different set, that's not a direct product request, they go through SDR just because we feel one, it's qualification, but then also I want to get to a point where they understand the market way more, where they know and feel like in their own outreach, okay, I know that this might be a good party to go for or this might be a good opportunity for me to actually go for because i've seen this through the inbound channel like there's coming those requests are coming in mm. uh, so it makes sense for me to translate that there as well so they kind of have to yeah qualify and, as well yeah and they've gotten to know the prospect and the market and I, I, I like that um i like how you've identified though where the where there doesn't have to be a friction point in the journey right if it's a certain request it will go like straight to an ae um as opposed to, I mean, I guess just like aligning back to the sort of what I was saying at the beginning around, you know, marketing to the modern buyer, it seems like you have that very front of mind when you're trying to make sure that these processes are, I guess, less, like have less friction than maybe more in more traditional settings. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the, the hardest thing for us was like 
breaking of the silos, like between marketing and sales, like literally saying, okay, this is one team with one goal. And obviously that doesn't go from, from one week to another, but it's a gradual process. And I think where we are now, it makes a lot more sense. Also people, I think one thing is respect and understanding. I wrote that down as well. I think that's so important just in terms of, and that's also because yeah. I want to, like I told you, I listened to the podcast as well from Alice. Like she was saying that as well. They have to step into each other's shoes. They had kind of, and I really like the idea of like switching a day. Maybe we'll have to implement that Sunday. Like, I don't know how our marketing team would do cold calling, but like the other way around, like I, I'm pretty sure that no sales know how to do to do to launch an ad campaign. So that's kind of, yeah. That's true. Yeah, we did. Um, I wasn't actually at Cognizant, but I, I hear about the cold calling day way back when, when marketing were cold calling. And uh, I think it was Joe, Joe Barron, our, our head of content, was was booking in a few cold calls. It was like... That's so, massive. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, but that's the thing. It's respect and understanding. Like, if you don't... They, yeah. they won't get respect if you don't understand it. So if you're at the marketing table, they're like, oh, the sales don't close. They can't sell what we what we bring them in or something. And then the opposite is like, what is marketing doing the whole day? Like, I don't see anything coming in. But then that's the whole point. They don't know from each other. So that's why it's so good to actually show, okay, put them in meetings together, show where they can add value, show also where they're like, the quick wins are immediately and then it can translate to something where they can make revenue cohesively and, and coexist kind of. Because I also... It's it's a bit of a debate whether it's funny to some if you talk to sales they're like oh with the AI coming in marketing is going to disappear and then if you talk to marketing people it's like with the AI coming in sales roles is going to disappear and I think we're just going to morph into a revenue team with like set roles that are based on I mean one is for capture the other is for creation and then it's all about revenue I think it's not as traditional sales marketing which it was like fifteen twenty years ago yeah I totally I totally agree um, when I was um, when I started in marketing, it was very much this model of um, kind of like sales support, like marketing would send sales the leads, um, queue up all the MQR. And, and again, that existed, that sort of um, setup very much existed at Cognizant and before we switched to demand gen. And it was like, here's the leads, um, you know, um, follow up on them. We'd have endless calls about um, endless operational calls, you know, have the leads gone through to the right place? Have sales followed up? Uh, what is the issue? Where are the blockers? And all of that kind of stuff. And I think since we have made this switch, we're focusing on high intent hand raises, people who want to hear from us um, and really on that generating value first. Um, yeah, it's it's been a real game changer because I think like marketing and genuinely holding a seat at the revenue table, which traditionally um marketers haven't always been taken as seriously in that respect right it's like it's almost like marketing come before sales and then sales like close the deals and like own that target so it's interesting like how you're starting off from the get-go as one one team like you know one team one goal and I guess I mean you I think you have already mentioned this but they're already um they're both one revenue target right, right? It's one re so we now it's kind of that's still in the works like obviously we didn't start that way this because the company is five years old and in the beginning the ceo was doing everything lead yeah. generation wise so that's kind of we also come from that model and we still have sometimes they have tendencies to kind of go back to it if they see kind of the engine stutter or they don't see yes, like so. fast results they're like no we should launch a campaign to bring this in which I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it happens, but I, I can understand both worlds because sometimes like, you're building something long-term, but then in the, in the middle, you have to kind of get those results. But yeah, no, so I have the influence revenue from SDR, then you have like marketing influence revenue. Then obviously you have the direct revenue from, from the sales actually. 
um, and that's how how it works. And, and we we really also like in the in the full forecast, we try to build it up that way. So we expect this sales should generate revenue for this area and this area, which is from marketing, direct inbound solutions, and then also uh, from from SDR effort. And then we can also like kind of switch it up if we need to uh, along the way, which is a nice way of doing because then also the sales DAEs knows like okay, I'm expected or like I should be given this amount of revenue from this area from this channel which is marketing or sdr and they kind of yeah. count on it but they also see the value in it because it's direct revenue so it adds to their bonus it adds to their target so if they if they kind of not see it come in they're like okay but maybe there's something wrong there or we can help them or we can uh, readjust but that's so they're yeah. plugging in the yeah, gap that's, and helping yeah that's out. it they, they have to because it's their target so we carry it as a team so if, if one of the kind of little thingies don't really work the way it should work then it's yeah the whole engine is kind of stuttering yeah i hear you and then i'm I'm jumping around a little bit but just on that i'm suddenly thinking about attribution which yeah. i know like my journey is linear um it's very hard to um and this is where i've had to get comfortable with that you can't attribute every action to a deal always particularly in this demand model but how do you what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you how do you think about? Oh, it's so hard. Um, I think like within maybe one to two years, we're gonna have a tool that basically integrates with every single channel that like has some sort of yeah that is relevant, and then we can basically measure it that way. Because you see, for example, well, if you see in the B two C world, you see uh, influencer tools, for example, that have integrations with all the platforms necessary, and they scrape all the data or they integrate with all the data, and they get all the data of like reach. Uh, engagement, that kind of stuff. But in B2B, it's so much harder to kind of find them because it's it's in Slack channels, it's in events, it's kind of, it's on LinkedIn, which is very rough to like integrate with for some people. So it's it's way more scattered around, but then it's also on the B2C channels, which is like a TikTok or like a Pinterest or, I mean, wherever it can come from. Like we have, we have SDRs that spend their time in Facebook groups, which I'm like, why would you still be in Facebook groups? But there's massive HR for us, that's our buyer. Facebook groups where we get actual deals out out of and then that's why there's 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 a need for kind of a meta platform uh to to scrape that stuff but the way the way i see it just in terms of like it's the small successes i think that's kind of the thing definitely with my team like the nine people the sdrs it's like show the small examples that show okay this is actually working if you do it consistently and i'll just share two with you like one we have like we have two annas in the team and like anna big which is she's she's been posting on linkedin linkedin for four months now and she was like, in the beginning, like, okay, I don't see any results. Like, where, where is that demand generation kind of stuff? Why is it not happening for me? And then last week, you said this yeah, work. you said this was work <laughs> and I still haven't seen any results. Nobody's <laughs> asking quotations in my DMs. And I was like, yeah, sorry, that's not how it works. But like, <laughs> <laughs> so first thing was like, now last week, she first had a post and that reached 35K people. And she was very, very proud. And she should be like, that that's that's massive like that's a that's a big step and definitely for our company that's a lot a lot of people because her her audience is all hr people and i was like this is the type of case that we need and this is also showing i I showed it immediately to the other team and everybody was like whoa that builds trust and like the people you reach out to it builds so much more trust and they they understand who you are they understand what you're doing otherwise you're just like a bot talking to somebody if you you haven't posted yourself it's kind of the first thing is kind of that trust and then the second Example was the other Anna, Anna Bafur. She had the opportunity to go speak at a at a sales event, and now she's like seeing other sales leaders re- reaching out to her because she was like 
in that channel, which was, it was a sales event. They were all talking about sales tools. They were all talking about what tool are you guys using? And uh, it, do you think this is a good tool? Like I was, I was there as well. And then they were asking like, do you have Cognizant? What do you think that is? And then, and I was like, look, Anna, this is where it happens. This is literally where your buyer is. This is, we have to find those groups where they talk about our stuff. And, and if we're in those groups or we can actually know what goes on in those groups, this is where we can actually influence a decision. And those are like the examples that you want to, if you have those, you try to make them as big as possible, show them to the whole team and try to convince everybody like that's the way forward because that's where it's happening. Yeah, definitely. And obviously you get the friction from people um, being impatient and they want everything to happen tomorrow. Um, I think I remember when we were shifting and, and Alice was reporting upwards and um it was like we were we were sharing things like screenshots from of emails and LinkedIn posts and um we did um a video for for the board at the end of last year and it was it was basically like the effects of like demand gen essentially and it was just a whole compilation of like we love the podcast we like you know we saw the live we saw you here and you know this content's very valuable and it was such a good way to kind of communicate the impact that it can have even if it's not cold hard numbers or even if we can't say the podcast brought in, you know, million pounds in pipeline or whatever that looks like, it's it's never it's never ever going to be perfect. So I love that. Um, I love that your team are really like tapping into that, especially like I love the Facebook one, right? So HR, they're hanging out on Facebook. Let's get into those communities because we, I speak to a lot of organizations um, just about making this shift. And um, I was actually speaking to our head of paid acquisition about this yesterday. And we were saying that um, quite often people think, right, demand gen, let's ungate all the content. And that's it. Like, that's what it is, just ungating content. And actually, it's you've really got to understand like where your audience are hanging out. And that is the first and foremost before you can then start to deliver that value. So I think it's super impressive that, um, that your team already do well, that. It's, it's also, cool. I think just what you were saying, like it's not just ungating content and just like stop with paid social, for example, and then it will be demand generation, which is that's kind of, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's like you have to stop like spending money on this kind of stuff and then it's demand generation, but that's not actually the thing. It's about thought leadership and it's like, where are those thought leaders active kind of? And what, what is highly underrated sometimes is like the numbers. The numbers can be very low. Like if you're in a niche industry, the numbers can be very low. Because I, I have people like, we tried a podcast and we only had like 30 people listening. And I'm like, yeah, but who are those 30 people? Are they all buyers? Are they like, for example, for us, we had we had a podcast and not that many people were listening, but they're still like actively people going to that podcast, re-listening. And then when we look at the people who are actually listening and those are our buyers, and then even if it's 10 people, that's fine. Like you reach 10 people and they're highly engaged in the content that you're offering, which is so much more valuable than just seeing one print screen of some sort of, I don't know, a case study on LinkedIn once. And that should like convince them to go buy your product, which is that kind of, if you think about it, it does make sense. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's true. Isn't it? So like, it's so logical, but you don't do it. Like I find that like, I've worked at companies where like, you know what you should be doing, but it's so hard to make that shift. Um, I get, I guess just touching on, um, we were just saying about like the personal branding element of the SDR. Um, I guess I'm sure already you've demonstrated that you, you see value in that, right? So um, SDRs posting and, and is that, um, was that an, like one SDR that was doing that or do you encourage all of the SDRs to do it? Um, have you sort of managed to get buy-in for that? Because we find that um, 
it can be tricky with sales. Um, with the marketing team, it's a little bit easier. But with sales, there's always calls to make. There's always um, targets to hit. Like, how does how does it work for you guys? I think in the beginning, it's always it starts with one person doing it, and then one person getting those results as well. Then you have to really kind of be kind of naughty in a way about that and showing to other people like, look, he's doing it. He's getting success. That's what we told. Like, yeah. And also just, I think it's, we're past the stage of where it's, it's something that they should be doing voluntary kind of, we make it a target as well. Like you, you kind of have to, we don't, we don't, they can set their own target, but they have to set a KPI on how much social involvement they're going to do. Are they going to like, as they, as they are, they kind of have the opportunity. Are you going to write a blog for marketing? based on customer uh, feedback or are you going to post yourself and then you can say yourself am i going to post once a month twice a month or every week but if you say it to me i'll follow up on it but then it's like their target and they they carry the target because they put it out there themselves because they know they have to but then if you make it a target and an actual kpi next to like revenue whatever meetings book that kind of stuff but if you make that a target they kind of have to do it and i think for sales it's so crazy mm -hmm. that they don't do it because i think the first quick win in demand generation is in account management. And if you kind of can show to account management, like we did three weeks ago, we did a, a webinar sort of like a dinner just a, or a lunch. It was with one of the account manager could invite mm. two of his main clients and then four other clients that were not on our, on our software tool yet. And that was six people. And that's the most demand generating thing that he's ever done without knowing that it is demand generation, which was, it was aligned with marketing. Marketing said, like, you should invite that person. You should talk about these topics. And then you should basically let them pitch to each other, form, create a sort, some sort of thought leader kind of mini camp or something. And that's a very much a quick win because like every account manager has like 50 odd accounts maybe. And then he always has like four or five prospects that he knows that are almost ready to kind of gradually transform in that sphere. And that, that's the first quick win to yeah. me. And that's demand generation. Like that's that's literally you showing thought leadership, letting and enabling your clients to be thought leaders by using your stuff, which is exactly what you're doing with me at the moment. But like that's that's kind of how it works. Yeah, entirely. And so I guess what we're saying is we get sales to do demand generation without them realizing <laughs> it's demand generation. <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> what's in a name, I think. Yeah, that's the key takeaway <laughs> that's the here. Key takeaway, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's super valuable. So I guess we've we've spoken a lot about the marketing and sales relationship, and it's great from your perspective because you've obviously been in both seats, right? And you've understood it from both perspectives. Um, I'd love to hear more um, now about your demand gen playbook at Sunday, and we've touched on it a little bit. Um, the first thing, I guess, which is what I'm always most interested in, is how um, how did demand gen come about at Sunday? Because you did mention earlier that you were operating kind of on that lead gen model before. Um, what kind of happened? Was that with you coming in and saying we need to make this change, or um, how does it work? I, I think it was coming back from um, from Dublin. It was like, yeah, we need an SDR leader. How are we going to call that person? And then I was like, I don't really fully believe in the idea of if you book 10, 20 meetings, that's going to result in the right stuff. Because in the beginning, that was, was what we were doing. And then for me, it was very important that the, the title already was demand generation, because I felt like if it's like head of generating new business, or if it's like head of new business or whatever, it's still kind of in that sales role. You're still a sales. So it was very important to me that it was like demand generation, because back then I was already like the refine labs, everything. I was looking at that and was like, okay, this is interesting. This yeah. is where it's at. This is kind of where it is moving. Because in Dublin, obviously, a lot of the companies are a bit more advanced than kind of um, 
and their ways of working and the UK is similar. Uh, so for, for Belgium and definitely because like we're a Belgian company, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch. But then I was like, yeah, if the title is this, then we can gradually transform into kind of making the whole organization that way. Uh, and now I think we're, we're almost a year further. And if you see the steps we've taken through that year, it's massive. Like coming from uh, a place where two SDRs were heavily focusing on activity, meetings booked, and then, okay, none of these meetings are actually resulting in revenue. And very frustrated SDRs, very frustrated CEO. AEs were like, what are these people doing? Like, what are, what are they on about? To, to, wow. Yeah, but that, that makes sense. Like, if you don't see something coming in or, or you're way too early in the buyer journey, you force people to talk to you at the wrong stage. Where now we are like SDRs nurture their own contacts. They qualify people over short calls. Uh, they have influence revenue as a target. They, they kind of feel so much more involved. And also like as a company, we kind of decided like nobody should come in as an AE, uh, unless if they're like crazy experience, then we get an opportunity for crazy talent. But if somebody comes in into the sales in, uh, at Sunday, we want them to come in as an SDR. We want them to be like first go to that stage of like, okay, getting to know the market, getting to know the industry, generating like your own views on the market. Also learning from what your buyer is constantly giving feedback wise. And then you can go to closing because it's so much easier because I see AEs coming in and mm. after three months, they still don't know who our ICP is. They still have no clue how our ideal, ideal buyer looks like. And then we have an SDR meeting and they're like, what is he working on? Like, what is that person? Because that's never going to happen, right? <laughs> and, and SDR is telling me like, Louis, what is he working on? That's never going to happen, right? This is not an ideal client for us. And I'm like, yeah, you're perfectly right. I, don't, I doubt that it's going to happen. So that's cool to see that kind of uh, evolution. And in terms of a, a set playbook, playbook, I think it's kind of hard to define a playbook, but I, I've written down a couple of things that we now implement that are very good or that have been quite successful uh, at Sunday. I think it's a gradual transformation, as you were saying earlier as well. But we, do, we now have monthly market me meetings, which is we have uh, markets in different stages. So we have the Belgian market, which is for us the most mature one, uh, where we actually don't need no longer any SDR involvement because we feel like, okay, the market knows us. The AEs can basically generate uh, leads from just their own wallet, uh, from just going to events, just going to just the people we know. Yeah. And then we have emerging markets, which for us is now the big focus is on the Netherlands uh, because we've been there for longest. We also have a bigger team there and we definitely want to have like an SDR push in that market. And then we have kind of other markets that are also growing, um, which is a very cool thing. So we have the first thing that we do is marketing sits there, sales manager sits there, I'm there, the SDRs are there, the AE is there and the AMs are in that, in that from that specific market are all there. And then we kind of align on the goals. We say, okay, we want to get to, obviously there's a revenue goal for everybody, but then it's like, okay, what are we going to focus on? What is What are you going to do to help us get to that result? Um, and it's so cool because people are one more aware. They understand what like the involvement is. What do you need from marketing? Which is, I know that's kind of a rough topic where it's still like marketing working for sales, <laughs> which I want it to be the other way around. But yeah, that's, that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> I think they can. I think there can be that uh, element of support, but I think for me it was more like having that ownership over that revenue exactly, target, yeah, which yeah. has been the big shift. Yeah, so that's that's like we're yeah. always given on some end, probably. Sure. <laughs> so it's it's like the the proven results and then industry analysis plus these marketing meetings with direct feedback from customers, direct feedback from SDRs makes you so much stronger as a team. And then next to that, we also we we make it into messaging kits, cases, and then we do messaging workshops which is so the, that's the strategy bit, like the monthly meetings. But then we also want to have messaging workshops, which is a biweekly thing I do with all SDRs. And now AEs definitely want to be in that conversation because 
it's it's seeing what conversations are sticking. It's you showing like, okay, on LinkedIn, what type of conversations do you have? What is a good first conversation? What should we switch up? Is this the right buyer for us to go to? What is the pain that this buyer is experiencing? That they're really thinking about like, okay, we now have this video case. How have you used it this week? Like how how would you implement this case? Have you posted on LinkedIn? Are you just sending it through email? Are, are you using it as a follow-up piece of value? And those are like, those kind of things really help to make it very tangible for for somebody that might be for the first three months in their first sales role ever because otherwise it's such an abstract kind of strategy thing. Yeah, definitely. I love that idea of the, um, because I think we've been guilty of it here at Cognizant where we get a a great, amazing case study um, and uh, customer marketing, like set that live. and, And then we sort of don't always go beyond that. So it's like, but what, what are we doing with it? Are we, you know, sales, it'll go on seismic and sales will have access to it, but should we be coaching them through it and saying this is a case study and it's good for this, that, and the other? And should we be doing more to amplify that across the whole business um, and demonstrating like clear ways of um, using it, right? As opposed to so many different ways you can use a case study as opposed to here's case study link, you know? Um, Like re-record a video on your thoughts on that case study, like whatever you want to do. But yeah, I think um, that's great. That's really Yeah, and then also in terms of, because in those meetings and in those conversations, you kind of notice, like, for example, some of the stuff that came out when we start aligning marketing and sales and then give your opinion on what the other side is doing. For example, like half of my prospect doesn't understand, like they don't understand our website. And I'm like, that's a major pain. Like that's a, that's a, that's a first major pain, which is they're, like, we relaunched the website. We relaunched the first, the homepage. And now it's very basic. We talk like our buyers, but that was feedback from the team. That was literally the feedback from SDRs and from AEs. They were saying like, okay, nobody understands what we're doing. If you read this, like nobody understands what this means. And then if you go back to those conversations, how do they talk about us? Then just make that the line, make that the tagline. It should be fairly straightforward to see this. And now it's similar, like other pages of the website are also being adjusted into that manner. Like, for example, we have a software tool, which is called the Sunday wardrobe, right? So that's our software tool where we can ship um, uh, goods around the world. So we use this for onboarding to smoothen out the process. Uh, for a lot of people, it's super valuable, but a lot of the sales couldn't understand it because we, we basically sell a back office to front office people, so to say. So we were selling like a platform, but like the people that have to use it are like HR managers or like uh, workplace experience managers, those kind of roles. And they had no clue. Like it was not intuitive. It was not really UX is, is kind of easy to work with if you have a background in the software because it's also logistics. So it's quite complex. And now we're like, okay, let's turn it around. How, how, would, a, how would a customer actually understand what we're doing? And now it's just like a web, sub, web shop for your employees. And that everybody understands that. That's just an easy thing to kind of understand. And so that kind of stuff really helps and comes out of those uh, workshops and comes out of those conversations that you have with the whole team. Yeah, absolutely. We had a very similar thing with our website, exactly the same. It was unclear what we did. And yeah, like the conversion rate was just crazy. Like when we actually just said, we we give you emails and phone numbers. <laughs> and send it all That's honestly what we do. <laughs> it's true. Because I, I was in a, so you side is the sales leader community in Belgium. And the, the lads there were like, yeah, what tech, what tech tools are you using? So all sales leaders sitting around the table. And I was like, yeah, we're using Cognizant. Very big uh, advocate there. Very big ambassador as well. I'm a partner at the company. I love what they're doing. What do they do? And I picked up the thing and they just give email addresses and phones. Oh yeah, makes sense. So it was just, 
Yeah, because that, that whole lecture was about like AI tools. And some of the tools have like the roughest explanation ever. Like you, you have no clue what they mean and where they can help you. But yeah, so that's, yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And then just actually touching on tech stack for uh, for your like demand gen, um, your demand gen efforts. Like, what what does your tech stack look like, and what is your? Because I think um, I think the reason I'm asking is that uh, you can sometimes I think especially in previous companies before Cognizant, you can sometimes get so lost in we need this tech, we need this tech. But actually, often if you just strip it back to basics, um, you kind of the tech's always, especially these ABM platforms, et cetera, it's all a bit of an illusion to me. Um, so what, I don't know, what do you think? That's just my No, I, I, completely, I completely agree. I used to be the type of person, oh, there's a new tech tool. We need to have it. Like that's, that's, that's a, this is a, this is an email modifier, whatever thing. This is going to help you like save time, whatever. And now I'm like in the, in the thing of like, yeah, I know kind of what our next step is in terms of tech tools. Um, I'm not going to name any names because otherwise I'll be bombarded with people reaching out to me. But like, I, I, yeah, yeah. So I kind of know, like you first have the stage of where, like, okay, we need all the data should be in one place, which is URM. That's, that's the basics, but sometimes very much overlooked and people are not like using it fully, which is like, they're building on CRMs. Whereas like, if you get everything out of this source and this one source, then you're so much stronger. I'm also very much an advocate if, if it's not an integration, it's a standalone platform. It should be super valuable because otherwise I have to calculate the ramp up time for, for the reps as well. Uh, and that's often very rough. Like, um, uh, like for example, we have Sales Navigator now and I see people, actually it's, it's being underused, but you kind of have to have it because there's no other first party data uh, source available. Um, and, and obviously in that sphere, there's massive room for disruption, but Hey, uh, that's going to take some time. Um, but I think that's one, like you have your CRM, then you have your first party data. Then the, the next step is the third party data, which is where you guys come in, which is Cognizant. Uh, and definitely yeah. because it also integrates with a HubSpot, it integrates with a sales navigator. It's good to add it on top of it, which you have the standalone platform, but I'm more so to the reps, like use what you feel most comfortable in. If you want to use the sales nav search, good. We'll guide you through that. And I'm, I'm trying to um, like build, bring my skills up, so to say, to be better at the sales nav thing. If you want to use Cognizant, okay, fine. Let's do a training on Cognizant. Uh, but just use it because that's the main thing if they don't use it what's what's the point like i see i see teams having so many tools yeah. available and then it's just like yeah they don't ever use it um so i know the next step for us is kind of having that uh conversational intelligence i think as we scale even more and as the reps are doing um uh, more qualification calls discovery conversations uh it's hard for me to give feedback on those conversations i can't sit in every single one of them i try to do uh once in a while try to do one or two but it's so important to have that yeah, as the AI becomes better and better, it can definitely help you to have that conversational intelligence and help you kind of guide through the sales process. I feel that's a variable, a very valuable tool. But besides that, we actually, yeah, we don't have anything. We use a lot of free tools. And I'm like, if you fully used up the, like, it's the same with a video tool. They're like, yeah, Louis, we're going to start video prospecting. Get us a tool. And I'm like, yeah, okay, use the free version yeah. fully and then we'll have a conversation. And up to now, still nobody has fully used the free version. Ah, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, why, why would I buy this for this amount of money? So. Yeah, we have that a lot, actually. Like, yeah, loads of video prospecting, all that kind of stuff. It's like, use Zoom, send it over via Zoom, whatever, like, whatever you yeah. want to do. But yeah, you're right. Um, the utilization thing is a huge part, like, especially like as your tech stack grows, like, you want to make sure that 
people using it regularly and it's I actually think, benefiting. Like, uh, example, or SDR influence revenue is still in a spreadsheet now because I think it's more important that they get it out of HubSpot and see it themselves, what they're influencing. So it's not just because I hate it that it's in a spreadsheet because I'm, I'm very much like it should all be in dashboards and HubSpot, which, yeah. is, which it is. But it's so important to me that they write it down themselves. Like they see, okay, look, this 40K deal or whatever, that is closed one is my influence revenue. That's so important that they can see it. And that I also see it from the whole team. Yeah. And and I think that's sometimes undervalued as well. Just go back to the basics. Because if it works on a spreadsheet, you can scale up to the to the next bit. Yeah, definitely. We um we have automated quite a lot of our reporting, but what we still do, so every week I fill out a performance tracker, which is like our full pipeline. So it's MQLs right through to um, like our inbound MQLs, right through to meetings, but we send it blah, 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 um, pipeline. And I, it holds me accountable for looking at those numbers all of the time, every single week. I'm constantly checking on the conversion rate. And as I'm rolling out, as the team's getting bigger and I want them to own like an element of, you know, we all have a revenue target. But I want them to start reporting on certain things. I'm struggling to almost move away from like, asking them to manually get that I mean it's not like a huge lift right it takes 10 minutes but even them just like looking at that data in like Salesforce pulling it out putting it in a sheet saying this is what you know this activity has impacted this and etc etc and it's it seems like really simple but it actually hold I think it holds you very accountable and that's myself included no true I have to do it for my CEO if I report to the CEO he's like yeah where are you like every every time we have a, a meeting there, it's like, okay, where are you now? And what's your goal? You have to be able to say it yourself because then that's the only way you understand, okay, oh shit, that's actually I'm not doing very well. Or like, oh, look at me, I'm doing great. Like, and that's the difference because otherwise it's like, yeah. let's go through HubSpot together. This is the dashboard, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's pointless. Like you have to know where you are because um, it just gives you a basic understanding as well of how it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, so I just have two more questions as we're wrapping up because um, I'm very much enjoying this conversation. It could go on for ages, but I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, so I guess a little thing that I've been thinking of recently is there's everyone's talking about demand gen and this whole buzz and whatever you want to call it, but everyone everyone is slowly understanding that people buy differently. We need to approach them in different ways. And in that, I'm seeing companies like LinkedIn um, introduce new things like document ads, uh, vertical ads. I'm seeing like YouTube. We've got like YouTube shorts, like companies are looking at TikTok. And I guess just in your opinion, is there anything that you are looking to test, you're excited to test? Um, Yeah, I think we had, uh, we had, because I think a tool is just a a tool, but we had the, the podcast, for example, and we ran it for like one season, I think. That was our community show uh, with our CEO, and we had tremendous speakers on there. But we kind of didn't Maybe. understand that if you don't do it for like a continuous period of like I don't know forty, fifty episodes, it's just not going to work. So uh, I definitely want to revisit the podcast because I think this is great just to have that kind of connection. Also, it builds trust, but it also builds a good case study for a company. It gives you short bits to use in advertisement. So that's a really good way of kind of using a conversation fully um in my opinion and then also i'm a massive youtube person so i really want to because i think i fully um understand where for example alice said, alice said like it's great to make b2b 
uh, less boring, like B2B uh, advertising less boring. And we have such a fun product. Like we, we literally are in fashion, like we do company fashion. So we can do so much more fun stuff. So I want to, the, the TikToks or the YouTube shorts, we, we definitely should have like a good content creating model there. Because I, I want to do all the, I don't know, if you see fashion shows or if you see other people's com- company fashion, do kind of like the YouTube uh, comment uh, thing, like people talking over other people's videos and actually giving comments there. Yeah, I, I, I'd love that. Like I, I watch those things all the time and I think it would be great to use that in B2B because like people know that format, which that's a very strong thing. If they know the format in B2C and it works really well in B2C and you kind of make a, a, a parody of it in, in a B2B setting, it's always a good idea to do. And and then like we wanted to do like the seventy three questions with Vogue like in our setting because we have a new office coming in yeah yeah so that's yeah I I'd, I'd love to do like modern YouTube B two C kind of good channels and use them yeah in our own thing and then definitely the short video I think it's it's massively underused because we have a, such a visual product product so it's always looking very nice so we can definitely uh, use that even more but it's always it's always hard because I think. The, the first thing about demand generation is like you have to give value. It's not a sales tool. Like you, you can't use it as a sales uh, opportunity. Uh, that's the same. Like when people starting to post on LinkedIn, like it's not you pitching the company every week, like, cause that's pointless. Like it's not like, look, we have a new product. Here we go. That's, that's not how it works. And it's the same with any YouTube short form podcast, whatever. It has to be value about something you do and something around the sphere that you're in with that kind of aligns with your buyers, but it shouldn't necessarily be like, yo, buy this thing. And that's sometimes something that we, I think we did wrong in the past maybe. And then if we retried it today, yeah. that'd be more so, okay, first things first, what is the value that we want to give to everybody this week? And what's kind of the the, the platforms that we're going to use it? And then it, obviously the, the format aligns with the platform because it kind of depends on, on where you are. Um, but yeah, I think YouTube and the podcast for sure. Most definitely, yeah. I mean, I uh, I'm just having these thoughts out of you, like YouTube video, my runway, people walking down in different company branded outfits. Oh, I've which been I've been dying love- to do a company fashion show. Like, I want to do a fashion show ever. Like, we went to a management management retreat, and one of the things was like, Louis, what what is like an out of the box idea you want to do? I want to do a fashion show. I want to just do a fashion show because it just like it makes so much sense if we do it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, one day yeah. it will happen. Yeah. <laughs> The, what, are, what are they calling it? Liam was my our VP was saying it the other day. Um, edutainment, edutainment. That's money buzzword. There you go. Um, but yeah, no. Who you know? You're right. Who's saying that you can't have a bit of fun with it? And your your product and like company definitely like aligns to that in a very big way. Right. Well, watch this space. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for this fashion show. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much um, for joining me today. It's been such an insightful conversation. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is a great opportunity for myself. And it's, it's cool to have a conversation, actually.